I am Camille Johnson, and this is Finding the Floor. Stories and reflections of midlife motherhood, family, and finding meaning in it all. Join me as I share a little piece of my life and figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Hey friends, welcome to Finding the Floor. How is everybody today? Today is episode 82, and I'm going to call it Facing Our Fears, part two of the book, How to Be Yourself by Ellen Hendrickson. And yeah, I thought I was just going to do this book in two parts, but as I was getting through the rest of it, I remembered this really golden part about making friends. And I've decided to make that a whole separate podcast because I noticed that some of my kids have been struggling with this. And I thought it would be a really good one to talk about. So, but today we are going to talk about Facing Our Fears, which is kind of the second part of the book, part three, maybe. Um, But first, I want to tell you guys about this hack that is literally changing my life. (laughs) I know that sounds dramatic, but okay. So have you ever had a jar of like spaghetti sauce or I don't know, pickles or anything that you have to twist off that is like impossible to get off? And the funny thing about this is, so we're making pasta one evening and I am trying and trying and trying and trying to get this lid off the pasta sauce. I cannot... So then I give it to Nate and he like hits it, runs it under hot water and we finally get it open. It is such a struggle. So then like the next week we're doing the same thing and my daughter Millie is like, oh, I was watching five minute crafts and just put like a rubber band around it and it'll be so much easier. And right before that, we're just like, oh my gosh, it's so hard. And we couldn't even get it off. And we put the rubber band, like a literal rubber band, not for your hair. And it came, it opens in like no time. You, all you have to do is twist it. And the theory behind it is like, you don't have that extra friction with the rubber band If you guys have trouble taking or opening jars, this literally will change your life. Put this little rubber band just in a drawer that's always available and you stick it around the lid and you just pop off the jar lid. It's amazing. So I wanted to share it. That is my little tidbit of life-changing advice. (laughs) Plus all the other things I'm going to talk about today. But Yes, it was so amazing. Okay, if you remember from last week, we talked a little bit about tools that would help in 
for social anxiety. And two of those tools that I read from the book, How to Be Yourself, Quiet Your Inner Critic, and Rise Above Social Anxiety. And seriously, this book really is so good. So if you haven't got it from the library or if you're still waiting, hang in there because it's totally worth it. Or if you get on her website, she will send you like seven days of free kind of like myth busts of social anxiety, which is really helpful. And it's also in her book. So I'm not going to cover that because she has like a section on like myths about social anxiety. So anyway, you can get that from her or you can read the book or obviously you can not do that. <laughs> but anyway, those are my suggestions. Okay, so here we go. We have Ellen Hendrickson's book and we talked last week about the replace or embrace tools. Um, this idea of when you're kind of getting too much in your head, thinking before doing something or after doing something, or even while you're in an activity or somewhere, just this idea of like, how bad would that be? What are the odds? How can I cope? And I think sometimes when you're within a situation and you see yourself being kind of too in your head, that's when you use the embrace tool or you start getting out of your head and notice what is around you, having kindness and compassion for yourself. Um, as you're starting to freak out, saying, of course, this makes sense, but let's get out of our head and see what's actually really going on instead of being so inwardly focused. It's really good to just be outwardly focused. And also the embrace tool I think is really good is you're compassionate and kind with yourself, but also saying, okay, I understand how you might be scared or not want to do this, but we're going to just go ahead anyway. We're going to plunge ahead anyway. And that is today kind of a little, there's some strategies and some information just behind how you just go ahead and do the things that are freaking you out a little bit. You're anxious about, you're not really sure it scares you a lot to do some of those things. And the first thing she says is to fake it till you make it. And we have all heard that before. Fake it till you make it. This idea that you just pretend to be confident and then your confidence will sort of catch up. And I shared this before, I believe, you guys, I'm getting to the point where I'm like this old grandma. It's like telling the same stories over and over. But this one is relevant today. So I remember just after I graduated college, I was working for my dad as his camping manager. And we both were just figuring stuff out. I didn't really know what I was doing. And we were just getting started. And he had this neighborhood meet the candidate event. So I think the night before we had written up a statement of what I would read for this event. And he's like, we should be all good because he had to be out of town. So I get prepared to be a representative of him at this event. And all the candidates get introduced they give like a little speech and then I give my little written speech about what my dad and I went over and then I think, oh, I'm out, you know, but it was like a question 
answer period. And the lady was like, oh, you're going to answer questions. You're going to represent your dad. And we literally had just started the whole campaign and understanding, I don't even know half of the issues my dad was standing for (laughs) or what his platform was. Or I'm like, he wants to make sure we have capital investments. And anyway, it was just really funny. So I was like a little bit panicked, but I just said to myself, I'm just going to fake it like I know what I'm talking about. And I would usually go last, kind of listen to everybody else. And then as I was listening to everybody else, I was like, they're faking it too. And they don't know what they're talking about. So, yeah. I think sometimes we just believe that everybody's got it all together and they're never afraid. But I don't think that is the case. We don't all have it all together. Many times we're afraid to do things and a lot of the people who are getting more things done are just going through the fear. And we talked about that also, the idea of just being comfortable with being uncomfortable. This is kind of the same thing. How do you get over social anxiety is you start by just going into situations you're afraid of going into and just letting, like being anxious and afraid through the whole thing and then keeping on doing it and that your anxiety will slowly lessen because you can't get rid of social anxiety or get rid of fears in a vacuum. What it really seems to me is just you have to face them and most of the time they're not as bad as we can even imagine. Like our imagination is so powerful. But I just love this. Um, So she tells a story about this guy named Brandon Stanton, who was a photographer, and he had been most of a landscape photographer, and he was taking pictures around the country, and he gets to New York City, and he starts taking pictures of people, and he noticed that he got like a better response when he took pictures of people, and so he was like, I decided I was so enthralled and entranced with New York City and then I just started taking pictures, but I would have to have to ask all these people if I could take their picture. And so he took 10,000 pictures of strangers in New York City. And so he slowly got more and more comfortable on asking people if he could take their picture. Some would say no, some would say yes. Just this like on and on of asking And he said, always at the beginning when I was doing this, I was more afraid. But as I got more used to it, I wasn't as afraid. And I love this next thought is you have to earn being comfortable. It takes a lot of times to be uncomfortable. Being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Ellen in her book, Ellen Hendrickson, Dr. Hendrickson, in her book, she says, okay, so how do you get into a situation where you're totally freaking out and try to make it manageable for yourself? So she suggests a little strategy is to provide yourself with a little bit of structure, such as a role you could play or even some sort of guideline that you give yourself when you're in a social situation. 
I noticed for me that when I would be at a PTA meeting when my kids were little and I would just show up, I didn't reach out as much to get to know people. And then I was asked to be on the PTA board. They needed help. And so I noticed that when I was on the board with people, first of all, I got to know all the members of the board. And then as people were coming to the meetings, I got to know them. And then I just got more and more involved. And I just noticed that as I was more involved in more of a leadership position, that was when I was able to get to know people in that way. I noticed that too when I volunteered to coach my kids in soccer. The years when I was a coach, I got to know the parents way better than the years where I sat on the sidelines and just like watched my kid and maybe talked to a couple people that were beside me. And so sometimes I would volunteer to coach because I just felt like I'm going to get to know more people this way. So putting yourself in a situation that gives you a role where you can feel comfortable, but then that also helps you like feel like you can reach out and be more social. She suggests also like if you're at a party, um, ask to maybe give people drinks or if there's um, like a sign-in book, be the one that's welcoming everybody in the sign-in book. It's just some little bit of structure that helps you not freak out as much. That makes sense. And she also said to also not just go and hide and like do the dishes and be away from everybody. But if you want to do the dishes, offer to do that with a group of people. So that's when you're helping people out and getting to know people. I know sometimes after some big ward activity, if you volunteer to clean up, sometimes that's so fun when you have those conversations with the group cleaning up. So not saying you're not cleaning up, but making sure that when you go into a party, you're not jumping into a situation where you're like avoiding being social by helping out in that way. Oh, and the other thing like type of structure you can give yourself is, you know, I'm going to talk to three different people in the next 15 minutes or just three different people at this party or she had mentioned the study where there was like a group of socially anxious people and a group of non like diagnosed, I guess, socially anxious people. And she noticed that when someone sat next to them, but they weren't given like an assignment, more of the socially anxious people were anxious or they wouldn't really talk to them as much. Whereas when they were given an assignment, like how well can you get to know this person in the next five minutes? Then they felt they had purpose and could just be totally fine doing that. So how well can I get to know this person tonight? Maybe there's one person you want to get to know. Nate and I were in an acapella group when we were in college, and we have these alumni weekends every year. And when we were newly graduated the first few years, it wasn't like a very big group because the group was just started when we were in college. And so we pretty much knew everybody. So it was always fun to go back. But I noticed as, you know, we got 10 years out and then 15 years, you would go and there would be so many people, it would be a little bit overwhelming. Like you'd walk in this giant room 
and there's all these people. And so sometimes we'd give ourselves a challenge like, okay, let's get to know somebody from these years in the group or um, make sure we catch up with someone that we knew and then get to know someone that we haven't sung with. Giving us little challenges throughout the weekend helped us to focus. And actually, it was a fun way to then you kind of focus in on a few people and really get to know them a little bit better. So that little structure, adding that challenge when you are facing these fears of social anxiety or just going and doing stuff that makes you super anxious can help. The one thing she warns people about, which I don't know if a lot of people do this, but she mentions make sure when you give yourself structure or she says sometimes you play a role like I'm going to be the introducer tonight or I'm going to be the greeter. Um, Make sure it's a role and it's really authentic. So she gives the example of Johnny Carson wanted to be a magician or on stage because that's where he felt like he had control over his audience, if that makes sense. Like he could make them laugh and that was cool, but he wasn't quite the same person with a small group of people. So it was almost like he was this persona. So just making sure that you're like striving to be something that you could be comfortable eventually growing into, that makes sense. Okay, so then she mentions cognitive behavior therapy. And this is basically what going and doing is. It's like you're going to have to overcome some of these obstacles by doing the things. So Albert Ellis, I guess in the 1940s or something, he was a psychologist and he was the one that introduced this idea of cognitive behavior therapy and he used to be really afraid of talking to girls especially attractive girls and so he gave himself this challenge to talk to 130 girls and so he got more and more comfortable talking to these girls and so in the book she talks about there's this graph if you think of an L and The vertical part of the graph is like how scared you're going to be. And the horizontal part of the graph is like time going by. So when you're coming to a new situation or when you're scared of talking to girls and you have to actually talk to someone or you're scared of like talking to boys or talking to strangers or whatever it is, that usually the biggest point at the very top it's super high right for the first maybe two seconds that is the hardest part whether you don't want to make a phone call or talk to this teacher about something that is kind of hard to talk about that initial part is the scariest and then it just declines as you get over that first part so sometimes things are always going to be a little bit scary at the beginning. But then in the graph, it talks about as you get better and better and more comfortable, you keep on doing the things, that initial fear just slowly goes down. So in the book, she mentions this guy named Jia Jiang. I hadn't heard of him, 
but he also has a TED talk and he's famous for a hundred days of rejection. Okay. But I ended up watching the TED talk because she mentions them in its book and she could describes what he did. But what was even better is to get the background of why he was afraid of rejection. So the story of Jia Jing was that when he was six years old and in school, his teacher had this great idea of giving everyone a gift and to get the gift as a team building activity, everybody would share a compliment about somebody else. And he said he was the last three people in the group that, and he never got a compliment. And so the teacher was like, okay, just go get your gifts and be a nicer person. So someone will compliment you the next day. And he said, I never forgot that, that idea of being rejected and not being complimented by my peers. So he talks about how his six-year-old self was constantly kind of coming into his mind and sabotaging so many things he wanted to do. And when he was 30, he decided to start his own business. He's something he really wanted to do. And he had an investor and the investor fell through. And he was just feeling awful. And that six-year-old self was winning again. And he decided he had to find a way to get over rejection. And he came across this site called rejectiontherapy.com. And it said, you know, 30 days of rejection, like you need to have 30 days where you're um, asked questions and you're rejected 30 times. So you just get okay with being rejected. So he decided to make that even longer for him. He calls it the 100 days of rejection. And he would ask these people, like all these crazy things to kind of be sure he'd get a no. And he was surprised at how sometimes he would actually get a yes. So at the beginning, he um, asked a security officer in his building if he could borrow $100. And he was so nervous that he got a no and like ran away kind of fast. But what was interesting is that he actually did get some yeses. And he noticed that night after he walked because he recorded himself when he would do all the asking questions because he was keeping a blog and recording all of it that when he asked the question he was so worried about what this person might think but he noticed after he watched himself on the video that they were actually curious and after they said no they asked well why and he decided right then that he wasn't going to run away. And he's like, that's what I've been doing for years. My six-year-old self wanted to run away and not be rejected. And this, I need to just stay in the moment. So what's interesting about this idea of like the running away is sometimes when we're trying something new, it may not work out as we hoped. And Ellen Hendrickson and a few other psychologists says sometimes we start developing what she calls safety behaviors to kind of keep us safe. So for Jia Jing, that was sort of like really speeding in, speeding out, not like feeling the rejection, the running away. For other people, it could be like being on your phone, not really being engaged with anyone, sitting in a corner, not making eye contact or not introducing yourself, something like that. There's probably a ton more 
and even just not doing something because you're afraid of what might happen. And so after that initial no rejection and watching the video, he decided that each time he was going to stay engaged and not run away afterwards. So the next time I think he asked um, if he could have a burger refill and, you know, because it says free refills for your drinks. And so he was like, well, what if there were burger refills? He goes up to the counter and says, do you guys do burger refills? And he said, uh, what are you talking about? What's a burger refill? It's like, well, you have drink refills. And I was just wondering if you had burger refills, that would be really great. And so the cashier's just like, um, no, I don't think we do burger refills. Yeah. And he's like, well, if you ever think about it, it's a really good idea because I really like your burgers. So, and he stayed engaged with him. And he noticed that when he did that, he, first of all, you know, made a connection. And then many times he started understanding how he could either they could understand each other because he's working on getting rejection. But sometimes people said yes. He said one of his more famous um, YouTube videos was when he went into Krispy Kreme and asked them to make donuts in the shape of the Olympic rings. And they, this person was so willing to do it. And he was like so surprised. And then he shared in his talk how there was another time where he asked Starbucks if he could be a Starbucks greeter. And they're like, what's a Starbucks greeter? He's like, you know, like a Walmart greeter where they just say hi to everybody as they're going in. Can I be a Starbucks greeter? And he said the one thing that helped him actually get a yes was he's like, is that kind of weird? And the guy was like, yeah, that's weird. He's like, well, I'm not going to be weird. I'm just going to say hi. And he's like, okay, fine, go be a greeter. And anyway, he started understanding that many times as you ask people and you start to connect with them, you might actually get some yeses. He talked about all the things he learned. One time he went to someone's house and asked if he could plant a plant in their backyard. And the guy said no. And so instead of just going away, Jia Jing said well, why not? And he's like, well, I have a dog and he eats everything up and digs everything up that's in the yard. But I have a neighbor who loves to plant things. You should go and ask her. So he did. And he planted a plant in her backyard. And it's been this defining moment and experience for him. He's written a book. He even asked a college professor if he could teach a class. And he asked like three different professors a few different times. And one professor was like, well, wait, um, how about you come back in a couple months and I'll work you into my curriculum. And so he had this whole PowerPoint about rejection that he taught this class like a couple months later, just because he was willing to ask. And he said, you just never know. So sometimes just Getting over that fear and doing it over and over, we just have to do that. Again, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. So one thing Ellen suggests is to notice that like what you might be doing to sabotage yourself. If you're really feeling anxious and you have these safety behavior, she says some people like cover their mouth or mumble or like I said, are on their phone but when they stop doing those things, they just came across as like calm and normal. 
Whereas sometimes in the inside, you think everyone's noticing how anxious you are and really they're not. And that's one of the myths she goes over with is like, you don't look sometimes how you feel and to just like relax even if you're feeling anxious. One thing about the safety behavior, I mentioned this in the first one, is that many people who are socially anxious or many of us have this fear of the quote-unquote reveal or of this perceived flaw. And when we are engaging in this safety activity, whether it be like not introducing ourselves or having eye contact or just staying back, being on our phone, we come across not as we liked. She says in the book, you come across as being distant, snobby, or prickly, which is usually not what you're going for. She says is like, the biggest thing is just be present and not worry so much about what's going on with you and just be engaged and listen to what's someone else is saying even if there's a gap in the conversation or if you get all red in the face or all sweaty it's all gonna be okay all right so I just love this thing so after you've figured out your safety behaviors you've dropped some of those I love this question ask yourself what would you be doing if you faced your fears Or what would you be doing if you weren't so anxious? Be specific. And then she suggests to make a challenge list. Start with the small things. Start with something that is a little bit scary, like, I don't know, talking to someone in line or talking to the grocery store clerk or something that you normally just kind of avoid doing or, you know, don't do self-checkout. Those small little things and then slowly get bigger and bigger. So I just started listing ideas. What would I do if I wasn't afraid? I noticed that sometimes I stifle ideas. And that was another thing, if you remember back in serendipity mindset, this idea of like, when we're scared or afraid, we do sometimes stifle ideas. And because we're not sure how they're gonna be received or we're afraid or anxious, whatever, It's okay and just letting that idea go to fruition, even if it fails, even if it's like the worst idea, I think it's just kind of a fun. So I have a couple ideas that I'm going to try out. I'll tell you about probably next week, which has been fun to just like let my brain like go and work on these ideas and see how, how it might go. Even if it fails, it's just been a fun exercise. Last week, I mentioned that I emailed Ellen Hendrickson to see if she'd be on the show because I probably need to reach out more to people either to be on a podcast or to get guests on the podcast that maybe I don't know. Like, it's not hard for me to get people I know. That's not scary. It's more scary for people that I don't know and that might be a little bit more well-known. And she did say no. I got a rejection, but that's... Okay, Um, she's writing a book proposal right now, so she doesn't have time. So I'm, I'm excited to see where that might lead. But I just think that's such a good idea. Write it down and maybe I'll send out a post like, what would you be doing 
if you faced your fears. And think about the whole replace, like really, how bad can it be? And what are the odds? And how would you cope? So just to finish, I love this quote in her book. She says, Finally, remember the confidence myth. You don't gain confidence in a vacuum and then go off and conquer the world. Instead, you learn to be confident, to have courage, to get over anxiety, to live your life authentically by doing challenging things. And I loved a sentence she had is, again, I mentioned it earlier, but you have to earn being comfortable. Such good stuff, you guys. Face your fears. Write down that challenge list. It's really kind of fun. And if you let your mind just kind of go, oh, maybe I do this. Some things are small. Some things are big. But just doing them, oh, it's so good. All right. And sign up for my little fridge notes. It's just a really quick little quote or thought I send out once a week. Most of the time, if I don't forget. Um, There will be a link in the episode description. So do that. And have an awesome week, you guys. And thanks for listening. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions, come by findingthefloor.com, where I will have show notes and links for anything I've mentioned today. Special thanks to Seth Johnson for creating and performing the theme music. Come back next week and thanks for listening. 